So, my name is Ed Frawley. I'm here with my friend Kevin Sheldahl. Kevin is a retired police canine handler. Uh, he handled a dog on a sheriff's department in New Mexico for over 20 years. He runs a police dog school in New Mexico, a six-week police dog school, and has, in the last 20, 25 years, run over 65 of these schools. Today, we're going to talk about uh, Police dogs in the media. Did I cover that right? Yeah, that's the title. Which would I think yeah. I like it too because there's a there's a need to talk about this. Well, there's a need to talk about a big picture. We're just going to take a little slice. Um, I know nobody has not noticed that uh, law enforcement has been taking a big hit lately. Um, we after 9/11, I think we enjoyed a period of time where we were heroes. Um, now it's back to firemen. They're the heroes. We're not anymore. And uh, so what's happened is during a period of time of which now is somewhat tumultuous, and I'm not going to get into the political reasons of why it is and how it happened, but we all know that we're seeing more demonstrations, riots. Um, and we also know for an absolute fact that violence is rising um, in our country. I happen to have been a, a, a sheriff's deputy in one of the most violent areas of the United States. And so this isn't new to me. And, but I think it's starting to become something that's hitting home uh, everywhere. There's a law enforcement officer. Um, so why do we want to talk about this? Well, we want to talk about the role of dogs in it. And one of the things that's happened is we all know that every time they see somebody sees somebody in uniform now, somebody gets their phone up there, and they're, they, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You might be wanting to go get an ice cream cone. And somebody's going to have, a, have a thing, uh, their phone up here, and they're going to have a commentary. And it's probably a negative commentary. I guess you can't take a coffee break, right? Um, but these are the complaints that I hear from people on the road. I've been... Uh, retired from full-time work uh, as a deputy for, for a few years now. Um, I still am a reserve deputy in my old department, and I still uh, teach and am contracted to to teach uh, several agencies uh, maintenance training and foundational training for their programs, find them dogs. So I'm still deeply involved in this. And uh, we have seen cell phone videos, and now de departments are releasing uh, body-worn cameras, I'll just call them BWCs, uh, BWC footage, um, because people are demanding it. They know it's going to get released eventually under a, under a public information request, and so they're just releasing it fairly quickly. And I don't have a real problem with that, but sometimes what we're seeing on these doesn't have good explanation. Um, and one of the things that I've said is I'm not 100% certain that the general public is prepared to see a patrol dog bite a human being. It happens. And it happens because this is a tool that has unique qualities. Its ability to go out and search an area and keep us safe, use its nose, ears, eyes, to uh, search out a potentially violent suspect, 
there, we have no replacement for it at this point in time. And I, so I want to make sure that we talk about, hey, what do we got to do to keep it? Um, and I think there's a couple of things that we can do. Uh, one, if we have to re release video of it, we should do it with an explanation of what we're going to see and why, why it's there. Um, we also need to make sure that the people, that the actors in this thing, and I don't mean actors as in uh, TV shows, I mean the um, law enforcement officials that are involved in this behave in a very professional manner. And one of the things that we have seen is some dogs that aren't let go of people readily, some handlers who maybe left the dog on in, under questionable circumstances. Uh, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus here because that's not the way I do things. But everybody who is involved in police dogs has seen some questionable um, deployments recorded, either on body-worn cameras or cell phones or, or whatnot. Um, I got to stay. I think it really comes down to correct training. It does. On the handler. And if, if the handlers have been well-trained to the to canine law and they understand when they can legally deploy a dog under what circumstance, but I don't think, I think there are people out there that are putting out police service dogs with brand new canine handlers that don't know anything about a dog and they don't do a good job training these guys on the law, that's where you have mistakes. And I only say that because I know how much you put into training these handlers that go through your course. It's a huge part of Kevin's course is to teach them law enforcement canine law. It's huge. And I know that because when I was doing it for 10 years, the strength of how I approached it was from what he taught me through canine law. And that's such an important thing. And it's not, in my opinion, I'm not throwing any department, any person, again, under a bus, but it's the core to what we do. It's being ethical about what you are as a police canine handler. Well, and, the, you're right. And one of the things is you have to know what the law is. But even the law is not the only thing we have to address. We have to address our policies. You, a policy can be more restrictive than, than case law. Yeah. And you have to function under that as a law enforcement officer. Um, also, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. Exactly. That's a, that's a huge thing we have to teach people. And so we've seen some things on, uh, on the news over the last year, couple of years, that were like, I don't care if you could do it, you shouldn't have done it. Um, you should have thought this whole thing through. And as we're starting to go through learning how to handle a dog, learning how to train a dog, uh, we have to realize that one, our training has to be excellent. We have to have excellent training. And that's, that's not just sloppy training, not just get the dog through, not just make sure the dog wants to, wants to bite somebody. We also have to make sure that they will engage a human being effectively and let go of a human being effectively. There are many ways to get that done. But if you can't do that, 
you need to make sure you're not on the road with that dog. And I think there's a lot of people who are struggling with their dog training, who really want to work on the road, who, who have a responsibility to their department, but they're not sure how to maintain that dog and they need help. They need help before they're on the next body-worn camera video that makes the national news, uh, before somebody videotapes them doing that. And frankly, you need to have the integrity to be out there to do it right and be capable of doing it right. Um, there are minimum standards, and those minimum standards have to be extended in your training to scenarios not simply standing on a square range. We have a term in law enforcement called square range. It's really easy to hit the target on a square range. But when things start to change, you have a dynamic situation where people and things are moving and uh, the environment has changed, some people can't shoot very well. And, uh, you know, and using the standard that you saw on the square range to evaluate their performance out on, the, out on the street is not good, but we've also developed in, out on the range techniques where people learn to shoot on the move, they learn to change their environment, and so that we can help translate that to the scenarios that they're going to be faced with. Well, we've got to do the same in police dog work, too. We have to. And so we really hit home on developing the foundational skills and then carrying, carrying them into scenarios. And people have to do that so we don't get caught making a mistake. And let me explain, define a mistake. A mistake is anytime your dog doesn't do what you tell it to do when, and it causes an injury on someone, period. That's a mistake. Um, and so you have to ask yourself, am I going to, do, in this deployment, create a mistake? And if, that's the, if the answer is, I don't know, or, yes, I'm going to make this, the dog's going to disobey me, then we have to make sure we have technique to prevent that, technique to train for that, and we can, we can address it. But right now, over the, I've seen more negative press in the last two years over police canine stuff, and that has now translated into some legislation. Washington State has a very restrictive legislation. Um, they're, they're putting together uh, some standards on dogs. We don't know what it's going to ultimately turn out to be. We're not even sure on the definition of some of these legal changes at this point. But we know in the news this last week, they would not track an individual because they didn't have probable cause to make an arrest, although this was the person leaving the scene of a, of a murder. Oh. That's a little distressing to me. And it should be distressing to everybody out there. Um, again, this is a tool we can't replicate. You can't do it with a drone. You can't do it with a helicopter. You need to have four paws on the ground. And we need to, we need to reserve these dogs and make sure that they're well-trained, that when you tell them to let go of a bad guy, they let go of a bad guy. When the dog mistakes a good guy for a bad guy, you need to be able to stop him and redirect them. These are things you must be able to do on the road and have training and technique to get it done.
Where do you think the administrate the role of the administration comes in this? Well, an administration's job in this is to one make sure they're sending them to somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, there's a problem out there, and that's that in this this police dog training um, is an unregulated business, and everyone owns a dog. So if you call yourself a police dog trainer, that must work. And so that's the impression that many administrators have. And so what they do is they just find a local police dog trainer. They don't find a law enforcement instructor. Those are dramatically different, different things. A law enforcement instructor has one, credentials from someplace. And I don't mean credentials in that they went down to another vendor who has no clue, who created it on, on, his, on his laptop, a certificate. Credentials that can be traced to a, some sort of process that vets them. That might be the, uh, a, a federal agency, that might be a state agency, that might be a local entity, um, it might be one of the grassroots organizations that confers trainer, master trainer, instructor certificates on, on their members after they've done A, B, and C. But it's important that these people have something of that nature. Um, and a resume to support it. A resume to support it means they've been there, they've done that, they have a, a considerable amount of experience doing it, and that they have um, experience teaching, and I, one of the things I do for my instructors is you have to have been a basic uh, instructor in law enforcement before you come to me. So you might have been a dog handler for 27 years, but if you haven't been a basic instructor at an academy or teaching uh, in-service courses for your, your department, I don't want you. I'm not going to teach you how to instruct. I'm going to make sure that your content of your instruction is correct. And so when we teach these things, um, it's always somebody who's experienced that comes through one of my instructor courses. So when a department looks for some place to go, they can have faith that anybody that has gone through a bona fide program can teach the basics. So experience, and I'm not talking somebody to handle one dog. We have to have somebody who's a dog trainer, who's a law enforcement instructor, who also understands the concepts of the law and its application when your boots on the ground. So I got a question here. I think I know the answer, but I'll still put it out there. In the past and over the years, there's always been sport dog trainers, sport dog decoys that transition themselves by themselves and start to call themselves police dog trainers. Do you think that's going to change now that there's so much pressure being put on things being done correctly? You've got a situation where you've got a decoy, a sport decoy, who's making a living as a professional dog trainer, and then he moves into all of a sudden, he's a police dog trainer. Well, I can only speak for myself. That person would not be able to instruct in the curriculums that I teach. 
And the reason why is they don't have any direct knowledge. Everything they do is anecdotal. Uh, I heard this. I was told that. I read this. You have to come from a place where you have had to make these decisions under stress, out in the field, where you've had to, had to manipulate a dog. You need to be the, have been there. Now, I will also tell you this. I have learned more about dog training from civilians than I ever have, ever, ever have, from law enforcement. It, this is not meant to disparage them at all. And I take my personal dogs to several people who are just, I think, tremendous decoys. Um, and I train with them. And I observe the way people do sport obedience. And there are things that I can do and translate that into practical work. I, it, there's a, you have to have that conduit, which is experience, to take what people are teaching over in the sport and use that con have that conduit of experience to make it practical. Uh, you can't just make the leap. It doesn't work. And great people doing great dog stuff. Um, I have had some friends of mine who are good decoys come and help me for a day or two in my classes. Uh, and they've all, often had some really good suggestions about developing a dog that maybe we're struggling with a little bit. Um, so when we, they have a role, they absolutely have a role in this stuff and, but they kind of need to stay in their lane and their lane is not teaching people how to deploy and how to apply the skills for street purposes. And I think that we've, we've run into a situation where because it's an unregulated business in almost all states. People just hang up their shingle and call themselves a dog trainer because they can teach a dog to bite. They can teach a dog to hunt. They can teach a dog to do a lot of these, th these things. Um, and the dog sports, shoot, the dog sports are, are an outgrowth of police dog work. Um, so there's a natural connection there between the people that want to train dogs and they want to breed dogs for this purpose and there should be a connection. And that's, um, that's an interesting point right there, though, too, that we should make, that almost every single police dog, military working dog, comes from bloodlines from, this, from the dog sport people. Mm -hmm. You don't have police handlers breeding police dogs. Very rarely. Very rarely. I mean, there's, there's exceptions. There's always exceptions out there. Um, but it is not a common thing. So... As we look at these videos coming out, you have to ask yourself, who trained that person? Um, were they capable? Where did the, where did the problem come? Um, and I'm not gonna tell you that there aren't some law enforcement people out there training dogs that got away with not having the skills, the dog training skills. Yeah. That's why it's important that the person that you select to train your people is a well-rounded individual that can help train dogs. And also, department's gotta support. They gotta step up here and support. And I'm telling you right now, sending your person out once a month to train after the school is over is negligent. I'll, I'll, don't ask me to come to court if you're sending your guy to, guy to only eight hours of training a month. 
for your dual purpose police dog. If that's happening and you ask me, I'm going to say, that's not enough. That's not enough. It is kind of a joke. When you go to your, when I go to your, your various certifications and talk to, you know, there'll be 35, 40 guys there. And how some of these administrators do not allow these canine handlers to get the correct amount of training that they need. Well, then they need you to start know. looking at some of these videos out there and, and, and ask themselves if they want to they be the one trying to explain some of this. Right. Um, handlers need to be adept at, at deploying their dog. That's all there is to it. And that only comes from continual, continual reinforcement uh, for a dog. A dog's skills, that includes obedience and discipline, as well as the drive-based issues of hunting and fighting and searching um, and indicating, all these things have to be kept up because they're very perishable in a dog. And so if you think that you can spend a year and the only, time, the only amount of training somebody's gonna get is eight hours a month, well, first, if you're a dog handler, suck it up, you're gonna have to train on your own. Otherwise, you have a liability at the end of your leash. As an administrator, suck it up and find the time. Do not tell me that you're not putting that dog at a lower priority than something else, because you are. Yeah. I, I've been in the business a long time. The, I can tell you that what happens is there's the Rob Peter to pay Paul attitude when it comes to time and money. If you can't afford a canine program, you really cannot afford to have a bad canine program. Perfect example was last week, a news article that I read where a department in California lost a $20 million lawsuit on a retired police dog handler. And the lawsuit included the chief of police, the head of the training, and the, and the officer who had his retired police dog running around in his backyard when he's not there and he's off working or doing something else with another dog. And this police dog had got out of the backyard because it's just a fence backyard. And he went out and killed a 90 year old guy. Now, where's, what's going on there as far as training? It's, it's just, well, the blows your mind. Yeah, there's on. so many pieces to that. I don't even, I don't yeah. know how to address it. Now, I know the handler was dismissed from the lawsuit in that, and, and they went after the entity that had, uh, that was involved in purchasing the dog originally. Um, there was some very odd things with that lawsuit. But there's another suit out there where a handler had gone to his department and said, I need to go do my maintenance training. I need to do my maintenance training. And, uh, he had an incident, and basically, he knew that he was deploying with a substandard dog. And when they asked him about it, he threw his department under the bus, and the department had to pay out, plain and simple. He said, I, I told them I needed more training time with this dog. They, they denied me, and here's the documentation. I told them I needed A, B, and C and they, they didn't supply it for me. But I was still expected to go out and, and deploy this dog. And 
that that hurt the hurt the department. You know, like I said, if you if you think you you can't afford to pay a person to go train their dog up to a good standard and document that, and that's where people like myself come in. Um, you know, responsible departments up here bring me up here a couple times a year for a week at a time, and we we evaluate the dog programs, we fix problems, we give them directions, they they receive instruction on how to solve any problems. We have to keep these dogs at a, at a strong level, and those departments that utilize me in that that manner are doing that. Yeah. Now, the department that says no, you can't go to training, or well, we need to do bloodborne pathogen training this week, and so that's four hours that you're going to take for training, but we're going to take it from your dog stuff because we can't afford any more training. They need to question themselves. Is it time to get rid of the dog program? Because that dog, dog program puts them at risk for a large, large punitive settlement. You have to question, I question whether, is it stupidity or is it integrity is missing? Or a little bit well, of both? I think there's a little bit of, they're not understanding. And part of this goes all the way back to, you know, who's doing your instructing and can they talk authoritatively to your administration when there's questions? If you are a deputy chief or a chief or a sheriff or an undersheriff and you, have, you, you need to talk to somebody and you, you call a vendor and that vendor is like, you know, I need to sell these dogs. Yeah, yeah. And they ask you questions and you, you answer in a manner that you think that they want them, they want to hear and then that person goes and makes policy decisions based on it. I'm, that's a little bit of ignorance is what that is. That's and, the stupidity in it. Yeah, and, but, but unfortunately, who do they go to? Yeah. Well, we hired that guy to do the work. And so they go to that person. That person needs to be somebody who has been in law enforcement, understands the dynamics of law enforcement, understands the effects of policies and procedures uh, on, on a dog program. And that doesn't come unless you've been there. So is there an integrity issue? If they understand that they are, that they are um, taking away training time and that they're already at the bottom end of, of, of minimum and they're still taking it away, that certainly is an integrity issue. Um, and I don't know that there are very many departments who are willing to say, our program has to be put aside for a while. We do not have the funding for it. And this comes when, you know, they get told, all right, your overtime's tight. Well, why is your overtime tight? Maybe it, it was your budget cut up. That's something that's happening right now. So in the cancel culture we're dealing in right now where they want to uh, decrease the number of law enforcement officers out there, you know, unfortunately, dog programs, which are force multipliers, are being cut. They're being cut because they say, look, you know, we gotta take what we gotta cut what we can cut. Well, this is this is a little bit of a political problem, and there needs to be some communication that do you want your force multiplier to be the thing you cut? Hard decisions. And complicated I I, issues. They're they're complicated, 
But at the same time, there's a very simple answer to some of this stuff. If you can't maintain a good program, you can't hire people to help you maintain a good program, maybe you have to question whether or not you should have that program. And this is true for other things too, although for some reason it's magnified in dog stuff. And I'll give you an example. Um, you would never go to your local gun dealer and go to them and say, hey, we got to train up a SWAT team. Why don't you come over and teach them? Just because the guy owns a gun shop. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, you want to go look for somebody who's got the right kind of experience to teach your people or an organization that can teach your people how to do it properly and maintain the proper standards. And maybe that guy behind that counter once in a while, he is the guy. You, you get lucky. Even a blind bird finds a worm once in a while. And you got lucky because this guy was a retired cop, just like, likes to work in a gun shop part-time. And you happen to stumble on a guy that spent 25 years in a large department in a SWAT team. Well, that's a diamond in the rough right there. Yeah. And it doesn't happen very often. I don't know any. But the thing is that, and I actually know a couple of people that work part-time like that in a, in a gun shop just because they want a the discount on the gun, next gun they buy. Yeah. But... Um, you know, that's, that's not usual. And unfortunately, that's the process that some people are, are buying police dogs that way. They go find a kennel, a working dog kennel, i.e. that's the gun store, and they go in and they ask the guy behind the counter to train their person. Now, I expect that guy behind the counter in that gun store to be able to manipulate a gun, tell me which brand is good, you know, tell me who's got the new stuff on the market and all that kind of stuff. I don't expect him to teach me how to do police work. Good points. To be continued. This is going to go on. This Forever. isn't the end of this conversation. It has to be for today. But when we do some of our future courses together, we should do this again. Yes. See we'll if see we what turned up the pot a little bit here. Yeah, there's going to be some legislation going on. There was some attempted legislation in my state. Um, New Jersey had some legislation. So it's happening around the country, and uh, we're going to have to come back and see what happened. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Thanks.